Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which it seems people have always lived. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? theme song you heard is a recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement, We Are Building Up a New World. This recording is from a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014. It was led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Jean Jeffress, I'm a pastor in the United Church of Christ in Northern California, serving in what's called the South Bay, or you might know it as Silicon Valley. I live in the city of Oakland, which is in what is called the East Bay. Both the South Bay and the East Bay exist on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Ohlone people. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white people, white Christians, with the idea that white people will talk to other white people about race and about white supremacy. We believe white people, like many of you listening now and like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian traditions. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from listeners of color and from folks of all different faith traditions who might be checking us out. We'd like to know how you think we're doing. The word is resistance. It's hard for me to read today's passage from Ephesians about the whole armor of God, this talk of spreading the gospel of peace couched in military language, without thinking about the news and videos out of Afghanistan. This 20-year campaign, war on terror, colonial attempt at nation-building, however many drone bombings and lost lives ending in what is essentially defeat for the American empire, and much, much worse than that, even more chaos and instability for the people of Afghanistan, an outcome in which, as an American, I am culpable. It should not surprise me or anyone really, that we have talk of spreading peace couched in military terms, even in the Bible, maybe especially in the Bible. You see, it's the context of empire that remains throughout the eons. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit may be the only weapons available to those resisting the forces of empire. It rarely works to fight an empire with actual armaments, as the empire will certainly outgun you. Spiritual resistance, nonviolent resistance, that's what the writer of Ephesians is talking about with the armor of God imagery. I would like to resist even that, though, and dream up a protective suit that doesn't just repel the forces of evil, but instead confuses them in a blinding flash of glitter and sequin sparkles. If we have to keep on resisting empire, I'd like to at least do it on my own terms. Courage, sisters, don't get weary. Courage, 
Here's the passage from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, having done everything to, fa- to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change. In chains, rather. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. That's the NRSV translation. The letter to the Ephesians is not believed to be one of Paul's letters. My HarperCollins study Bible says it was probably written by a follower of Paul after Paul died. Ephesians has some troubling passages. Not that Paul himself didn't also write troubling passages. The study Bible points out, however, that a couple of the distinguishing characteristics of this letter that separate it from Paul's undisputed letters are the diminution, diminution, I think just like the diminishing, of women's status, and the re-accommodation to the long-standing cultural patterns of hierarchy and submission in the household. That's from the study Bible. Cultural, in this case, is Greco-Roman culture adhering to the imperial dominant cultural ideas. This manifests in Ephesians at the end of chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. I point this out mostly because patriarchy is always irritating, and it is, of course, a tool of imperialism. And then in the beginning of chapter 6, there's the whole slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling thing. In the former case, the text does say in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And in the latter, the text says, masters, stop threatening your slaves. That's a paraphrase, but that's what it says. And I guess that is an attempt at a power analysis, but we know how these dynamics play out. The oppressed are supposed to just keep their place, but that day will come when they don't. That's usually the day when the actual breastplates and helmets and shields of those sworn to maintain order can be seen gleaming in the sunlight. Be it bronze and iron or modern-day riot gear, these are images from liberation struggles throughout the centuries. Brothers, sisters, don't 
drop into today's passage, put on the full armor of God. I understand that the people in the context of Ephesians were living under occupation, under threat of persecution. I understand that this text has its own context. I can even hold with some compassion the oppressive passages, concessions to Rome, concessions to power. I hold it critically, of course, and I question any 21st century interpretation that simply plops these ideas in today's context, claiming the Bible says, then declares spiritual warfare on things like feminism or launches a crusade against critical race theory. These are the kinds of passages that would get used for that to which I utter a definitive no. I think Nicola Torbett said it a couple of weeks ago in her episode from Ephesians when she said no, no, and no. Now, not too long ago, I would have welcomed the full armor of God, the whole idea, because there is evil. Empires throughout the ages ooze with the evils of racism and white supremacy, misogyny, unfettered capitalism, and systems of extraction and exploitation, endless war, and on and on, we all know. The writer of Ephesians was not exaggerating about the state of things and the human condition, and they used language that their community could understand, the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Who among that community had not seen those very garments of oppression marching through the cities and towns? I understand the use of this imagery. We do need to protect ourselves. But I don't want to wear the enemy's uniform. I don't want to be defined by the the very power that does not care about my life, about our lives. Audre Lorde famously said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. I cannot help but to wonder what donning the oppressor's uniform does to us, thinking of ourselves and talking about ourselves in ways that do not go beyond what we know harms us, can kill us. Sometimes we need to get free from the inside so that our mind's eye sees something new and our self-talk speaks something new. In an interview on the podcast On Being, poet and teacher Ocean Vuong talks about the importance of language. He said, We often tell our students, the future is in your hands. But I think the future is actually in your mouth. You have to articulate the world you want to live in first. We pride ourselves As a country that's very technologically advanced, we have strong, good sciences, good schools, very advanced weaponry, for sure. But I think we're still very primitive in the way we use language and speak, particularly in how we celebrate ourselves. 
You're killing it, he said as an example. He went on to say, we have to ask. I'm not saying it's wrong per se. I use it too, being a product of this country. But one has to wonder, what is it about a culture that can only value itself through the lexicon of death? I grew up in New England. And I heard boys talk about pleasure as conquest. I bagged her. She's in the bag. I owned it. I owned that place. I knocked it out of the park. I went in there guns blazing. Go knock them dead. Drop dead gorgeous. Slay. I slayed them. I slew them. What happens to our imagination when we can only celebrate ourselves through our very vanishing? He asks. There is something in all this about replicating the oppression, the violence, and the trauma that we are all working to end. The way that empire itself has shaped our ability to imagine ourselves, has put in our minds the tools that we need to protect ourselves, has given us this lexicon of death, as Wong puts it, as the language with which we speak about ourselves, this must change, or nothing will. If we are truly standing against white supremacy, seeking and struggling to dismantle it, to interrupt it and put an end to this country's devastating legacy of racism, we are going to have to imagine ourselves, our words, and our weapons outside of the confines of what will obliterate us. And I'll be honest, I'm not there. I'm the person who will talk about this stuff and then go look for a breastplate, shield, and helmet, and sword online. And that's almost a true story. Friends, the battle is real. The writer of Ephesians was right. And the powers they were talking about are still around. The rulers and authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness. Yes, the world is different than it was 2,000 years ago, but empire's going to empire. And we're never going to win on any level if we fight with the enemy's weapons. Adrian Marie Brown said, social justice campaigns are battles of imagination. I want to start getting battle ready by imagining for myself a new uniform. I will put on the full glitter of God. Yes, I'm a masculine of center, non-binary, female-bodied queer, and no, I don't normally wear glitter. But if we're going to win... We will need to be way more fabulous than the empire is deadly. I will put on the full glitter of God with a red silk epaulette, silk running shorts, red silk running shorts that is, knee socks with fancy tassels on the sides and running shoes. Of course, I will wear sensible shoes. As I said, the battle is real. 
and I need to be ready to run. Friends, spend a little time imagining what your new uniform will be. What will you wear? Start imagining new ways to talk about yourself and to yourself and the struggles in which you are engaged outside of the parameters of imperial logic, ways that affirm life instead of hastening death. And I will also post a couple of links with information about how to get involved with the effort to stop line three for those of you who would like a more tangible call to action. There are links in the transcript. Thank you so much for joining me from wherever you are in this world today. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you. You can comment on our SoundCloud, Twitter, or Facebook pages. Tune in for a resistance word next week from Reverend Margaret Ernst. You can find out more about Surge, S-U-R-J, at showingupforracialjustice.org or surge.org. And our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. We're also on Spotify. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Transcripts are available as well on the website, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge thanks, as always, to this week's sound editor, Maxwell Pearl. Thank you, Max. Blessings to you and all that you do, friends. Love and liberation to you all. Until next time, I'm Jean Jeffress. <laughs>